Hey everybody, it's Alex, and I wanted to fill you in on some big breaking news. Uh, the episode you're about to hear was recorded just before the big breaking news happened. We'll get to Joe and our special guest this week, Steve Schmidt, in just a minute, but this is a major victory. You'll hear us talking about a corporate campaign targeting Toyota launched by the Lincoln Project and supported by a, a broad coalition, including many of you who listen to this podcast, and some of the digital and tech tactics that Joe and I and our team bring to this effort. We started the campaign actually first thing this morning, and less than six hours later, minutes after we concluded filming this episode, Toyota just announced that they're no longer going to be supporting those seditious members of Congress who voted against certifying the election. It's a, it's a huge victory. So thank you all for your support and your help. And we really think this is a blueprint about how we can all come together and, and take on anyone who supports this authoritarian movement and, and win. We'll put the press release and more information about, about the campaign in, in today's show notes. I think you're really going to enjoy today's episode, and thanks for listening. Hey, everybody, it's Joe Trippy, and welcome back to That Trippy Show. I've been talking for weeks now about what we have to do to join together, build a pro-democracy coalition um, and a pro-democracy movement, uh, because this isn't, uh, as I've been saying, a two-party, you know, Republicans versus Democrats, uh, left versus right. It is an authoritarian movement uh, led by Trump and those that, you know, the liars and, that, uh, that in, in, and the cowards that enable him. And so, uh, as many of you probably heard, I, as part of building that pro-democracy movement, I, I decided, um, after talking to my friends at the Lincoln Project for over the last few weeks, to join them in building this pro-democracy uh, movement and a pro-democracy coalition to take this on. Um, and that's why I'm glad today that Steve Schmitz agreed to come back on the show and talk about where he sees things now and, and how we build this coalition together. Steve, thanks for coming. Joe, thanks for joining. Like, we're just thrilled to have you and the great team of people that you bring with you into a movement that's a little over a year and a half old that, you know, has millions of followers, you know, 700,000 donors. And I think that played a really big role in the outcome of the 2020 election and coming into 2022. Now, as you know, there's only been three occasions in the last 120 years where the incumbent president's parties picked up seats in the first midterm election. And the reality is, is that the fascist Republicans uh, have had a very good six months. Um, they have whitewashed a attack on the uh, capital of the United States where many people were killed. You have significant declines on a six-month basis now of Republican voters across the country who believe that this was a big deal, you know, some 17% rescission in, in that number. Corporate America, which was aghast and outraged, has turned back on the fundraising, um, breaking their promises and commitments to the autocratic caucus. And, and the amazing thing about it, as someone who predicted that Trump would do exactly what he did in, in September, two months before the election, right? The, the unknown was who would follow him into the seditious waters? And, you know, in the end, you know, we're down to a canoe yeah. in the Republican conference. You got Liz Cheney and Adam, Adam Kitzinger. It's two people. It's incredible. Or maybe not. Um, but 
we have a real life autocratic movement in this country. Donald Trump is the leader of it. Tucker Carlson is uh, spewing forth into the culture, uh, sanitized versions of the talking points and the messaging of white supremacy and white nationalism that you saw on July 3rd in Philadelphia, hundreds of uniformed paramilitary fascists defacing the iconography of our country, the red, white, and blue with fascistic symbols, you know, but marching, marching in Philadelphia, the birthplace of our independence. So we're, we're, in a predict, we're in a predicament in this country where we can't lose elections because the election process is how the autocratic faction will come back to power. And if they do, we're going to lose the, we're going to lose the country. And so it's a perilous time for America. Steve, you mentioned how they're kind of coordinated on the right. And it seems like the, at least on the message side, they're much better at singing off kind of the same songbook than, than the left is. Uh, Joe and I have discussed this at length a lot, but it, it, it kind of seems like this coalition that we're trying to build has a lot of work to do when it comes to how we respond and how we fight back. Oh, absolutely. Um, Look, I, I think that there's an enormous deficiency in the coverage of all of this. It, it's covered elementally as if it exists apart from each other in these concrete silos. You know, I've always watched um, the serial killer shows and the true crime stuff, right? And of an age when you go back and you look at how did these people do this and get away from it, you know, the way that they did it. Uh, before there were computers and, you know, it was easy for different jurisdictions to talk to each other by moving around. And so you couldn't look at the whole, you couldn't pick up the pattern. But, but the fact is, this is an integrated, sophisticated right. movement, and it's all connected. The political leadership from Kevin McCarthy, whether it's fueled by cynicism, his refusal to deal with a member who's raising money with a Holocaust denier, the encroaching extremism and lunacy in the in the conference is connected to the propaganda networks, OAN, Newsmax, Fox, the talk radio producers who incited the insanity. It's financed by the biggest companies in the world, by some of the richest people in the in the country. It's all part of a whole. It, it is a movement uh, that has turned away from the idea of democracy, the most elemental American idea, uh, in favor of the pursuit of power at, at whatever it costs, including the loss of American democracy. And the, and the leader of this movement is an improbable one, but he is the leader of it. And his name is Donald Trump. Yeah. There are just as many Trump flags flying today, six months after he lost, six months after the insurrection, eight months after he lost, as there was on the day of the election. They believe, his supporters, that they live in an occupied country under an illegitimate president um, who is trying to, with his allies, to erase their culture. Republicans are waging culture war. And the reality is, is we're going to have to compete and we're going to have to talk about the primacy of democracy, that in the end, it's the only system of government that's ever been that puts the human being above the power yeah, of and the you state. Know, 
Steve, I mean, Alex, you, in the way you asked the question, sort of goes to the problem. I mean, you said that the right seems better at, uh, and more, co more coherent, and that the, the left is, uh, you know, has a diff more difficult time. That's the problem. You're still, even, even you, we've talked about this on the show repeatedly about it's an authoritarian movement. It's, you, you have to stop, everybody has to stop thinking, and this is part of the communications problem. Everybody has to stop thinking in terms of left, right, one party versus another party. It's not a party anymore. They've purged all, all the uh, people of goodwill at, uh, and, and the different voices that used to be in the Republican Party have all been purged and are gone. That, that's why you can hone it down to Donald Trump says something or, and it just is mirrored by everybody because that's all that's left. Um, and that's the whole mistake we keep making, I think, is, is that we keep, we, we've so been locked in uh, to thinking about the, the two-party system, about bipartisanship, about reaching across party lines, that we still talk that way. It's still covered that way, which is insane because that's the media's job. Is you know we had uh, Dan Gilmore on the show, Steve, and he said, you know, the media is really good when some when a politician attacks the media. It's never well. There's two sides to that. It's that's bad. You can't do that to the to the to the press. When it's voting rights or something else, and it's all of a sudden covered as there's two sides and you, you know one saying the other. But look, I want to get to um, what we do now. What's what are sort of the plans uh, moving forward, Steve? And get get your thoughts on that. I know. Look, I talk a lot about uh, we need to sound the alarm, get people to understand it's not left versus right. It, it really is all of us in a. Uh, taking on uh, an authoritarian movement, you know, telling people to get involved. But the other thing I've talked a lot about, and it, I, it came from talking with you, is we've got to hold everyone accountable, insist that the media and corporations um, get that it's not two parties, that they can straddle or do the both sides thing. So I wanted to get, uh, it's all of us against the, the authoritarian movement. They, we have to hold them accountable too. And I, I just wanted to get, um, your thoughts while we have you about wh what's next? Where do you see this this fight going? What what are our plans? Well, one of, one of the things we want to do in a in a fight is to understand right how do how do you win, right? How do you win the fight, right? Since we're in one, we should understand how we win. And and I I don't know if we'll win. Um, I can just tell you how we have to win, and that's by bringing this movement to submission through constant defeat and national elections by denying it power. You have an assessment of the 22 election that is darker than right. mine yeah. on its implications. And, and I think that having processed it for the last couple of, of weeks and months, <laughs> I, I think that you're oh, right. And, and I was, and I was, and I was wrong, but at, but at a minimum, we have to win four presidential elections in a row to bury this. All they have to do, right, is to exhaust enough of us, right, to get out of the fight. You know, we, we are leaving Afghanistan, right? And this is a perfect example. Um, we did not bring the Taliban to submission. The Taliban exhausted the United States and, and we're coming home, right? If we become exhausted in this fight, in our in our homeland, it's all over. And so we're going to take a couple of actions. Um, 
Yeah. We're going to take some corporate actions. Um, there are three companies um, that have broken the promises they made about supporting insurrectionists and the members who voted to throw out millions and millions of black votes in the hours after the insurrection on the basis of lies. And the companies we're going to target are all different. We have Toyota, uh, we have Citibank, and we have Google. Now, what we're going to do is run a very sophisticated strategy where we are targeting geofencing, uh, communicating around their dealerships. So anyone who walks into a dealership, you know, and Alex can speak a little bit more about this, is, is going to be pinged with an ad that talks about Toyota's support. Um, we will talk about the dishonor their management has brought to the brand, the company, the name in Japan. Um, and we will do everything we can to inflict pain until they reverse course. Um, Google is a company whose motto is do no evil. Um, they made a commitment. The commitment was that they would not fund any of the organizations who fund these seditionists. So, for example, they're writing checks again to the National Republican Congressional Committee where Dr. Paul Gosar, the member of Congress who's doing a fundraiser with a Holocaust denier. So when you look at this fascist movement and you look at Google employees um, who are famously and generously well treated by the by the company, we're going to ask them to rebel against the management of the company. We're going to say to them, do you have gay colleagues? Do you have black colleagues? Do you believe that we are all created equally? Why is your company funding this? And, and what we want to do is test to see the degree to which we can foment rebellion and paralyze operations internally. Um, and then we are working out our tactics with regard to our actions against Citibank, um, financial institution a little bit differently. But what we're going to try to do is send a signal to corporate America, and I've spent a lot of my career advising corporations at a CEO level, and famously, they do not like controversy and they have low pain tolerances. Um, we're gonna try to raise the pain tolerance and we're going to try to say it's not okay uh, for you to be the funders of an autocratic movement that's trying to burn American democracy to the ground. And we'll try to frame uh, the parameters and the boundaries of the fight that we're going to have and, and lay it out for the American people and pose a question, which is, what side are you on in this fight? And, and there's a continuity to it. You, you and I, at a different time, would have been on the same side as the little black girl who was walking into the school, desegregating yeah. it, being screamed at. We would have been on that side. On, on expanding human rights, on expanding democracy. And so in all the history of the country, these movements, sometimes they've been hooded. Now they're khaki and blue collar golf shirt, short sleeve golf shirts in, in fascist organizations marching in Philadelphia. They wore gray when they were an army. But these forces have always been in America and the fight, the fight endures and the fight, the fight continues. And, and the thing that we have to decide now as a, as a country, 
do we believe, in fact, and, and want to live up to our ideal that we're all created equally in the eyes of God by a creator who gives us rights that no man, no government, no king, no dictator can ever take away? You know, that include life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, whatever you conceive as the creator to be. And, and this is worth fighting for. This is worth defending. We are a deeply imperfect nation, but a great nation and a strong one. And a, and a strong and great nation can face its past uh, with as much pride as it, as it revels in its glories and its achievements. And, and that's, that's what we have to do in this country. Well, Steve, you mentioned it at the at the top of this, which was how we're going to be kind of bringing bringing what we can to bear on some of these companies. It's not just getting consumers. It's not just Lincoln or you or Joe just kind of yelling at them. It's getting the employees to stand up and have a voice. It's bringing consumers together. It's 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 all of that kind of combined into this coalition, which I think is really important. Well, one of the things that from an operational perspective, that's so exciting, you know, for everyone who's been, you know, is the enormous operational upgrades that you all bring to the Lincoln project. You know, if, if we, we now have a, uh, we now have a world-class operation uh, digitally and otherwise. And, you know, Alex, what I, why don't you just talk for a minute about, you know, some of the actions specifically, you know, with Toyota, get into the nuance with it a little bit and, you know, talk about how we're doing it. And also, you know, we're feeling our way through this, right? So these are our first actions, and we're going to use these as experiments to hone the tactics and to be able to, um, over the next year, if we need to take corporate actions, to do so in a way that quickly makes us one of the most effective activist groups that can inflict the most pain as quickly as, as can be inflicted uh, to bad behavior, that is completely opposite the values that these companies constantly lecture us with. Right. I mean, one of the things that we've done over the years, and Joe can speak to this too, is, and, and this fits in really well with what Lincoln does, is this concept of taking this kind of asymmetrically and not doing things the way it's always been done. So it's not just about geofencing a, a company's headquarters. It's it's about figuring out, okay, maybe you've got your cell phone in the in the headquarters for eight hours a day so we can figure out your employee. So you're going to see our ads. It's a lot more of of, of kind of using what we've got technologically to, to fight back against some of these big, you know, because Toyota can write a big corporate check to these insurrectionists and they are. So how are we taking kind of our slingshot against these Goliaths and and, and making it, amplifying it as best we can? Absolutely. They've been using this data to sell us, you know, and, and uh, people are seeing an ad. You know, you've all experienced it where you you were looking at something a couple of days ago and all of a sudden you start getting the ads about exactly what you were looking, uh, uh, you know, uh, Googling a couple of days earlier. Well, it's the same thing, but turning it back the other way. So really targeting a, a company, though, in a lot of ways. Uh, leveraging the way they've they've gone after us all this time, but but uh, we've got the tools to do that, to know how to do it, and and again, I think the the one thing about uh, you know the Lincoln Project is that just the abil the tactical ability to turn on a dime to move quickly. It's not a massive cruise ship that you know takes months to 
to turn. Um, and we saw that in, in 2020, and I, I was really appreciative of it. I think adding in, uh, and you, are, you, you guys had pretty decent digital and so, social, uh, but, I, but I think, yeah, we do add some something to the arsenal and together coming together. And also I think the other thing is the, the symbolism of, of Democrats and uh, people, Republicans who, who, who fought each other uh, for 40 years in some cases uh, over things like taxes or, 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 or policy. Uh, but as Stevie said, you know, on, on human rights, on, on it, when you know, on the racist stuff, we were we were we were always on. I think on the same side, and I think uh, what has to happen now is we've you know I think by joining, I'm hoping other Democrats. Uh, I don't you know I I know tons of of uh, Democratic voters are are already supportive of Lincoln Project, but try to but try to get more across the the board expansion so that this is so people get that this is really is a group that's about pro-democracy it's not about one party or the other it's about stopping one thing one thing only an authoritarian movement from seizing majority in either the senate or the house can't neither of those things can happen in 2022 and in 2024 making sure that it does not seize the presidency ever again, uh, not like it, it did in 2016. So I, I just really am thrilled to be to be with you guys and, and hoping that the one thing I, I, I always want to talk about is there there is something our listeners can do. And, and that is, you know, we got to get this message. We got to get people, more people not thinking about this as right, left, Republicans versus Democrats, all of us versus an authoritarian movement. So there is something, there's a lot of things you can do, but it's, it's find us, find one more friend, one more coworker, uh, one more family member, uh, and get them to, to listen to the uh, Lincoln Project podcast or this one. Uh, make sure they're getting the message of what this is really about, because as Steve points out, once we start these actions against these, uh, these, these corporations or others, that are uh, betraying their principles, or at least the stuff they're trying to sell us, the bigger that movement is, the more of us that are out there and can and can uh, uh, let these corporations and press know that we're not going to stand for the both sides-ism or that you can straddle both parties. That's going to make those efforts, those actions, much more powerful. It, Lincoln Project can, can take the action, initiate them, uh, we have the technology and the tools to, to push out and, and, and really cause some pain. But the biggest pain is you. Uh, the more of you uh, that are out there and the more you help that message get out there and the more you get to join uh, this pro-democracy movement. And in your own way, you don't have to join the Lincoln Project. Or There, there are plenty of, of good groups out there that are, we hope will be part of this. But it's really important to spread the message, to sound the alarm, to get people engaged, keep them focused. As Steve said, not get exhausted. And that makes us more powerful when we take these actions. Someone is always in charge. Right. This is this is this is a fact of life. Yeah. I was explaining this concept to my to my kids the the other day. Someone is always in charge. Right. And and so in, in our nation, who do we want to be in charge? 
Do you want to have a king? Should, should, we, should we make one of our generals put the military in charge of the country? Right? What about the Trump family? Right? Maybe we'll have the Trump family in charge, right? We'll turn it over to him. You know, Don Jr. and Ivanka and their kids, um, they can rule over our land, you know, for the next hundred years, or maybe another family. Um, or um, maybe just a party or a movement. And, you know, they'll decide internally um, who gets to be in charge, or we can be in charge, right? With the people, you know, government of the people, by the people, for the people. That, I'm for that. Right. And we have elections. Right? I, I've been involved in elections, you know, volunteered on my first one at age eight. You, you win some and you lose some. Yep. Right. When you lose, you, you acknowledge the will of the people because they're sovereign. They're the they're the boss. In fact. Most candidates of goodwill. Republican or Democrat who do this, who have the guts to put themselves out there, will we'll say that even in losing what an honor it was to be able to be the nominee of a party and to be able to go out there to make their case in a, in a free country. And that's the question, right? And, and, and I thought for all of my life that there was really no disagreement on this. But what happened on 1-6, and our friend Matthew Dow talked about this, and he couldn't be more right. He said the 1-6 attack was a graver threat, will have more long-term impact than did the attacks on 9-11. And he's, and he's correct. Um, he's correct. And, and I have no doubt that because of the whitewash and the lack of accountability, top down, that in the end, though it'll be a slower burn, if you want to add up all the dead between 9-11 um, and then the wars that were fought for 20 years, I wouldn't take the bet that we won't have more dead Americans from political violence over the next 20 years than we had an accumulation in the 20 years that followed 9-11. There's 300 million guns in this country. We have an extremist movement that is rapidly growing, um, that is being mainstreamed. Um, its talking points are only slightly sanitized as they are disseminated through the fascist hour at 8 p.m. on Fox News and, and other places. And I um, have said this, I may have said it, I hope not on, on the last podcast, but I, I talked about it last night and it's this. There's a story that I just found incredibly meaningful and, and compelling. And it's about the observations and takeaways of an Israeli police captain named Avner Less, whose family was wiped out in the Holocaust. And Less was the person who interrogated Adolf Eichmann for 750 hours. And Les talked about the experience 23 years later in 1983. And, and his takeaway was this. He said, it, it changed my perspective on everything, mostly in my belief in, in the need for pure democracy, for democracy. He said, an Eichmann can never rise in a democracy, only in a dictatorship. 
left or right. He, and he said that Eichmann was ordinary, wasn't a monster. He said there's thousands of Leighton Eichmanns out there, and there are. Kevin McCarthy's a Leighton Eichmann. Matt Gates is a Leighton Eichmann. Tucker Carlson is a Leighton Eichmann. And we're watching it play out day by day by day. When you go back to the Revolutionary War in this country, Yale graduate, Nathan Hale, when this British hung him, he, he said, I, only, I regret I only have one life to give for my country. We have people in the highest political positions in the country that won't face down a mean tweet from Trump. A despicable crisis of cowardice and faithlessness against the whole history of coverage that has moved the country forward closer to its ideas and ideals than it was at its birth. And that's the fight. Yeah, there are those there, there are those that lack the courage because they, they uh, uh, unlike Nathan Hale, they 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 fear for their lives and they don't they, they don't even want to you know risk risk physical harm. That that I can sort of at least get my head around. But the ones that so much lack the courage because of the threat, they fear of losing their political careers. I mean, it's just that's just we have just a dis disgusting. We have a great friend of the Lincoln Project, uh, Dr. Dan Barkoff. And Stuart Stevens talks about Dr. Dan, one of those classic underachievers, Naval Academy graduate, Navy SEAL officer, multiple combat deployments, who goes on to Harvard Medical School, now is an emergency room doctor. And so, wow. you know, as we talk about how we're going to do these things, these conversations that we have, you know, we talk to Dan. We talk about and, you know, he was really instrumental, I, I think, in helping us frame this. Right. There's there's physical courage and there's moral courage. Right. We have both physical cowards and moral cowards. But let's look at somebody like John Kelly, a Marine Corps four star general. Chest full of combat decorations. He's obviously not a physical coward, but he is a moral coward. Right. If you're the White House chief of staff and the president of the United States on a way to celebrate and commemorate World War One is talking about Adolf Hitler doing a lot of good things. You have an obligation to tell the country we need to know. And so we are in this era of deep moral cowardice everywhere you look with a, with with few examples and. Moral cowardice is the, is the river through which all these terrible movements are able to go. The moral cowards who spit on little black children walking into schools. The moral cowards who terrorize black people in the South for 100 years. Um, all progress is made with courage. And... And what we're going to try to do is call on the American people uh, to step up, uh, to be fierce, and to be brave in confronting the terribleness of the ideas that underline 
this autocratic movement? You know, uh, the thing that uh, I didn't uh, mention when I, we started the show, and Steve, I, I think uh, this is a good place to end the, end this with that with with your you, you know your clothes there. But I want to make sure that people check out my USA Today editorial uh, where I lay out the stakes of this fight and why I'm joining uh, Steve S- Stewart, Reed and Rick, and uh, the whole team. The Lincoln Project and adding our our uh, abilities to the movement um, and combining them together. Uh, I w- will put the link in the show notes. So those of you who hadn't had a chance to read that, please please do. Uh, and we'll be back uh, next Friday at the at this usual time. Steve, thanks again for you got it. for taking you got the time. It. You bet. Thanks, Joe. Great. Thanks, great Alex. To be with you. Good to be with you guys. Cool. As always, please subscribe and leave a review on Apple or wherever you listen. Um, and check out the, the Lincoln Project podcast. Uh, and this one, again, wherever you get your favorite podcasts, you can, you can, uh, you'll find us there. Thank you. See you next Friday.